0: here and first of all you need to thank god you're not at one of these other campuses because i know those other speakers okay are the benham brothers at the other campus are you kidding me i know those guys all right first of all they're like insanely identical twins so one of them is totally redundant i don't know which one i still i'm figuring out which one of the benham brothers but one of them is redundant i'm just keeping it real okay okay I'm actually disappointed to be here. I'd rather be at the campus, campus, uh, campus where John uh, Amanchuku is speaking, because I don't want to hear my dead message right now, but you have to, you're here now. So I apologize in advance. No, seriously, I spoke at the, the earlier service and um, <clears throat> I don't think I got enough sleep last night, so it was a pretty lame message. So I, I called up my wife to pray with me and I did some lines of Coke, I hope that's okay. <laughs> we're, not, we're not under the law, okay? Totally fine. Come on. There's grace. Uh, all right. I wanna. There's so much I want to say. I feel so blessed to be here, so, so blessed to know that there's a church like this here, okay? And the first thing I say when people say to me, Eric, what can we do? Uh, because this book that I wrote, Letter to the American Church, is a challenge to the church because many churches are shrinking away from speaking the things that need to be said. They say, we just want to preach the gospel. Well, can I tell you what? That's not biblical. We just want to preach the gospel, okay? They'll let you preach your dead little gospel in China. The government will let you do that. And then when you leave that building, you bow to the secular authority of the state, okay? We're not supposed to preach the gospel only. We're supposed to preach the full counsel of scripture, which means we are commanded by God to speak truth, particularly when it makes people uncomfortable. And so the first thing I say, about this book, Letters to the American Church, people read it and they go, well, what can I do? I go, the first thing you can do is if you're going to a church that is not boldly speaking against the evil that is happening and that is not bolding, boldly enjoining believers to get involved to do something about it, get out of that church. Get out of that church and don't give a dime to that church any more than you would ever give a dime to Target or to Disney, or to the LA Dodgers. Because folks, if you don't understand, you are, God has called us into a battle with satanic evil. Now, it's interesting, because that's the reality that's always existed, but sometimes it becomes real clear at certain times in history. And we are seeing evil on a level we've never seen before. I don't even wanna talk about some of the stuff that I've seen in videos, okay? supported by the L.A. Dodgers, okay? If you, don't have, if you don't have the ability to make a sacrifice by saying, I'm not gonna shop in that store, I'm not gonna do that, I'm not gonna do that, you understand, in the civil rights movement, okay, the civil rights movement was born in the churches, okay? Because it is the Bible that says, God's no respecter of persons, and we're all created equal in his image, okay? So if any atheist or Marxist, you know, uh blm marxist or some some woke atheist type starts telling you about racism you say like yeah i know why racism is wrong because the bible says it's wrong why do you say it's wrong you don't believe in god you don't believe in good and evil you believe we evolved out of the primordial soup by like random mutations and accidents so you believe that some groups could be more evolved than others don't you there is no basis to say racism is wrong if you don't believe in the God of the Bible. And people say, oh, that makes me angry, I, I, I don't agree. Well, yeah, you, you're not intellectually honest, okay? Because what not believing in the God of the Bible leads to is eugenics, okay? Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood, like let's weed out the lower races that we think are inferior. That's what dar- social Darwinism leads to. When you pull God out, it leads to satanic stuff. So they're gaslighting us now by talking about, like, oh, we're against racism. It's like, oh, yeah, why? Tell me why you're against that. Tell me why you believe in caring for the marginalized, as you put it, or caring, why? You don't even know why. You're just angry, and you want power, and it's emotional. And we need to be real clear, folks. It's the God of the Bible that calls us to know what is right and wrong, And it is the God of the Bible who calls his people to stand and that we are in a battle right now. And as I said a minute ago, we're always been in a battle, but sometimes it's just clearer. And you need to be willing to take a stand. And you need to understand that the time to get out of the church that is avoiding this stuff is three weeks ago or today. You need to support churches that are in the battle. Now, what am I talking about? Um, Basically, this book, just to sum it up, Letter to the American Church, um, I make the case that, and you know, this is like where I wish I were wrong. Like, I wish I was exaggerating. I wish, but I know I'm not. I make the case that what happened in Germany in the 1930s, people are always like, wow, how did that happen? Um, I'll tell you how it happened. Like, you don't think the Germans were uniquely evil, do you? Because if you think they were uniquely evil, that's like saying, I think blacks are evil or Jews are evil. If you think an ethnic group could be more wicked, that's not biblical. Biblically, we're all equal in God's eyes. So when, if you want to be honest about how that happened in Germany, one thing you need to know is that it was the silence of the church that led to hell on earth. God calls the church, in the words of Bonhoeffer, that's the 600-page book that Pastor Troy's talking about, Bonhoeffer said the church is the conscience of the state. If the church is silent, that the state will go to hell, because God has appointed the church to be the conscience, to speak truth, because we're the ones that claim to have faith that God defeated death on the cross. We have no fear. So there's... Sometimes there comes a testing, and the Lord says, okay, I'm gonna test you. I'm gonna show you. Now you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta show me, and you gotta show the devil, and you gotta show your neighbors. Do you actually believe what you claim to believe? Because we talk about faith, faith, faith. Part of what I write about in the book *Letter to the American Church is we have drifted just the way the German church drifted into a kind of heresy. No, it is heresy. What's the heresy? It's that it's all about faith. It's all about what I believe up here. Well, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is in whom do you put your whole trust? It's not some intellectual assent. So if you say like, well, oh, what do I believe? Um, Well, I'm saved by what I believe. And if you go to my church's website, there's a statement of faith, I believe that. That is a fig leaf. You're not fooling the devil. You're not fooling God. If you're not living out your faith, God knows and the devil knows and your neighbors know and your family knows that you actually don't really believe what you claim to believe. If you believe what you claim to believe, you will live differently. And the Lord is challenging us now. Do you believe what you claim to believe? Because in Germany, in the 30s, as the Nazis were rising, pastors hid behind that fig leaf. They said, it's just about faith. We're Lutherans. Faith alone. Bonhoeffer wrote a book called uh, The Cost of Discipleship, where he makes clear, he talks about the issue of grace, And they were always like, it's all about grace. We're Lutherans. It's about grace. It's about faith. And he's like, yes, it is. But if you don't live it out, if you don't understand the costly grace of Jesus' death on the cross, it means you don't get it. And if you don't get it, you're not covered by it. If you talk about grace, but you're not living like you understand the sacrifice was made for you, you don't get it. And he said, that's cheap grace. Cheap grace is fake, it is artificial, it is not real grace. Cheap faith is not real. Faith has to be real, it has to be your whole being living out what you claim to believe because you cannot fool God by saying, I believe in this stuff. But we all have this kind of enlightenment rationalist view. It's like crept into the church, it's in the evangelical church where we just say, oh it's what I believe, I believe this and this and this and this. Do you really? Does God care about you checking off what you claim to believe, the statement of faith? He, he looks on your heart. He knows what you believe by how you live. So basically that was what the German church did. As the Nazis were rising, Bonhoeffer and a number of people said, we need to stand against this evil. And by the way, the church in Germany was strong, just as the church in America is strong as a cultural force. They had the ability, if they were willing to be the church, to stand against that evil. But if they dithered and said, well, not yet. I don't know. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Not yet. I don't want to be political. I don't want to be divisive. I just want to preach the gospel. He said, if we do not stand against this evil and hide behind these theological fig leaves and these lies, this evil will prevail. And it did. It did. Now, I've never said this about a book that I wrote before, but I know God called me to write this book. Now, I can say in retrospect, I believe God called me to write, you know, all the books that I wrote. And that's, I really mean that. You know, when people like praise me, like, oh, Eric, you're smart. I know how stupid I am. And I know what God has done and what God has called me to do. And I confess this to you because I know that by his grace, he has made that clear to me. So I can't get puffed up like, oh, I had a great idea for a book or whatever. No, these were God's ideas. But this book letter to the American church. I've never had the sense from the Lord to write a book like this book. And so I did this out of obedience. This was not like a career move to write like a bummer of a message, right? Um, I mean, ultimately, it's not a bummer of a message, but it's, it's serious. I mean, I, would, I, I said to Pastor Troy last night, like, please invite me back again so I can preach on my book, Is Atheism Dead?, which is apologetics, which is fun, and encouraging, and some amazing stuff. And he says, well, we'll see how you do tomorrow. (laughs) And that there is a lack of faith. (laughs) And that is a negative confession. And I rebuke that. I don't care if he's the head pastor. I rebuke that. Um, I I think we're done here. Um, So the bottom line is that I, I do... No, that as, as it is a joy i mean I, I wrote a book before is atheism dead which is uh, fish out of water it's a story of my coming to faith my story that's like fun to preach on it's like a it's a fun evangelistic message it's a fun you know the, the story of is atheism dead is a fun message of how science is insanely pointing to god today it's insane if you if you know the book or whatever like it is It's insane and so I have this passion to tell the church like in these last days the darker things get the more evidence God gives of himself and when you see it you almost won't believe it. It's amazing stuff right. But this book letter to the American church. I I know God called me to write this book for now because we are living through what the Germans lived through in the 30s and when people say how did that happen. No it's not because the Germans were uniquely evil. It happened precisely as it is happening now in America. When good people said, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to be divisive. I just want to preach the gospel. That's what German pastors said. We just want to preach the gospel. We don't want to be divisive. That's not biblical. And if it's not biblical, it's from the pit of hell. You know religiosity that sounds all religious and nice and I just want to preach the gospel can sometimes be more wicked than openly wicked things because it's using God. Bonhoeffer saw through this in his day and he said, this is nothing but fear, cowardice, religious excuses to keep our mouths shut so we can avoid trouble. Like we're just going to, we'll hang the swastika flag outside because if we don't, the Gestapo might come here. We might get in trouble. We'll just, we'll just do that. We'll hang the rainbow flag. We'll hang the, the BLM banner. Tell us what do we need to do to stay out of trouble. We don't want any trouble. We just want to preach our dead little pseudo gospel. We just want to keep you know our tithes coming in. We just want to keep our jobs. That's human nature, folks, but God expects different from his church we dare to claim to believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead and defeated death. If you believe that, you will live differently. And Bonhoeffer, like a a prophet of old, was, was speaking to the church in Germany, trying to awaken the church that you must stand now. We must link arms now. We must fight the satanic evil now. And they said what we're hearing a lot of pastors in America say today, now. Like, hey, the pendulum swings back and forth. We'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Just preach your gospel. Just don't, don't get into that. Don't be divisive. Don't be political. Romans 13. Romans 13. Romans 13. There it is. Clears a bell. We're, not, we're just supposed to do whatever the government tells us to do. That's a sloppy reading of Romans 13. And in case you didn't know, Romans 13 is not the entirety of Scripture. If you've read the book of Esther, what is that about? It's about Mordecai, the Jew, saying, I will not bow to the governmental authority. I bow to God alone. And if you kill me, go ahead and kill me. I will not bow to a government authority. I will bow to God. Well, that's the book of Esther. There's plenty of examples in Scripture where we're to stand against the government. We are, as Bonhoeffer said, The church is to be the conscience of the state. We have no excuse. We claim, we believe he defeated death, and we are free. And so, when God called me to write this book, I I did it out of obedience, not having any clue that it would resonate. It has resonated, praise the Lord. And a lot of people are buying multiple copies to give to the pastors in their area. But I'll tell you something, if you give this book to your pastor and he's not interested, get out of that church get out of that church quicker than you get out of Disneyland or Target or, or before you ever buy an Anheuser-Busch product again. Because, you know, I mentioned the civil rights era, okay? This is the thing is that we've been so blessed in America that we're lazy, we're complacent. We don't understand, you gotta fight. In the civil rights era, some of you know the story, Rosa Parks, all of them were total Christians. Jackie Robinson, total Christian. They were Christians, and they understood why they were doing what they were doing, that the Lord was with them, and that they would have to pay a price. But when God calls you to pay a price, you're not paying much of a price because he outgives you when you do what he calls you to do. Even if you die, you don't die. So imagine that in the uh, Montgomery bus boycott that Rosa Parks was involved in, okay, this is like we say, look. Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make too much of a sacrifice. I'll, I'll uh, you know, I'm just going to Disney for the kids, or I'm just doing this, or I'm just doing that. Or I don't, I don't want to stick my neck out, you know. I'll, I'll just get the jab, even though it's made, like you know, with aborted babies. Or well, I'm just going to do whatever you tell me to do. What do I need to do? Tell me what to do. I don't want to think for myself. I don't want any trouble. I'm not trying to be controversial for controversy's sake. I'm just saying, like there's this pressure, keep your mouth shut, go along with this stuff, don't speak out against transgender, don't protest, don't do this, don't do that. Imagine, we're not willing to pay the price, but imagine the civil rights movement during that Montgomery bus boycott, which lasted a year, okay? The black people in that city walked to work rather than get on those buses. They didn't say, hey, you know, Life is tough. I'm going to ride the bus. Like I can't fight every battle. They didn't say that. Okay. They didn't say that. They walked for a year and got rides and figured stuff out for a year. Cause they said, we are in a battle of good versus evil. And we're going to do what we believe God called us to do. And if somebody tells you like, don't be political Civil rights movement was birthed out of the churches but it got political because the whole goal was to change evil laws. So when somebody tells you don't get political, that is not biblical ladies and gentlemen. That's the devil trying to shut you up. And the devil's trying to shut you up because he wants to shut God's voice up and you are meant to be the voice of God in this generation. So when somebody tells you don't be political, we don't want to be political. All those churches say we want to be political. I'm here to tell you, you cannot avoid politics. You cannot avoid politics. Sometimes it's gonna be controversial. Sometimes you're gonna vote for a president, and you're gonna say, well, I don't agree with this, and this, and this, and this, this, but you know what? Maybe, uh, you know, if I vote for this, like, philandering New York real estate developer, he will appoint justices who believe in the Constitution? Maybe, I don't know, there's no guarantees, but wouldn't it be mind-blowing if that actually happened, it's not going to happen if I don't vote. It's not going to happen if I vote for that other person. Imagine if that were to happen and Roe v. Wade could get overturned. Do you know how many people said to me, like, don't, don't waste your time. That will never happen. That will never happen. That's the voice of the devil. Roe v. Wade will never be overturned. Soviet Union, in the last chapter of Letter to the American Church, I write about Ronald Reagan, heroically saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Do you know that all the moderate voices, all the, you know, today, what would we call them? Deep State, Uniparty, all the people that just want to go along and get along. They're fine with evil. They say, we don't want any trouble. They said, Mr. President, you cannot say that. Don't say, Mr. Gorbachev, that's like... You know, that's fighting words. We just want to be nice. We want to play patty cake with the devil. We don't care that there are people suffering horrors, Christians suffering behind the, the, the Soviet Union and the Soviet Union that they're suffering and they go, We don't we don't care. We don't we just we just wanna keep our jobs and just keep things going along. Don't say that stuff, okay? He said it. He said it. And the demons trembled when Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And The Iron Curtain fell, and the Soviet Union fell apart a few years later. But the voice of the devil always says, like, don't bother. Don't bother. That's just, it's settled. That's never going to change. Roe v. Wade, never going to change. God calls us to take our faith out of this building and into every sphere imaginable. Because other people's lives depend on what you do. If you live out your faith, people that don't go to church today, they will be drawn to that God that you seem to actually believe in. If they see you speaking out boldly against the transgender lunacy, which is mutilating people, and which is, which is abusing young children's minds, if you do not speak against that, if you don't stand against that, if you don't go to a church that stands against that, you're being silent in the face of evil. And that is how the Nazis took over Germany, because they knew that the pastors didn't want any trouble. And they knew that if they just talked a good game, pretend that they care about certain things and watch what they say, they could keep the church asleep. And it reminds me of that image from Gulliver's Travels with, you know, Gulliver is being tied down by the Lilliputians, right? Some of you Remember that, you know, from uh, maybe from high school, the story of Gulliver, the Lilliputians are tiny, but Gulliver is asleep. That's a picture of the church. If the church is asleep, the Lilliputians they can tie you down with little little cords, little cords, little cords. If Gulliver had awakened at any moment, he could have ripped up those stakes and crushed them. But if they could just keep him sleeping a few more minutes. Don't do anything yet, not yet, not yet. That is what Hitler did to the church in Germany. He just said, no, nah, no, nah, you, don't, you don't want any trouble. You don't want any trouble. Just shh, be quiet. At some point, and Bonhoeffer knew this, if the church doesn't rise and do something, at some point it will be unable to rise. If you stay sleeping long enough, and they tie you down and tie you down and tie you down. At some point, it's like, game over for you, church. You're dead. You can do nothing. That is what happened in Germany. That's history. That is history. And, and the Bonhoeffer book is, is the, the long version of it. And you can get the details of this happened to a Christian nation. Because enough pastors were unwilling to live out their faith and exhort their flocks to live out their faith. That's not true of all the pastors, but there were about 18,000 Lutheran pastors in Germany at that time. 3,000 stood boldly against the Nazis and what the Nazis were trying to do. The Nazis were trying to bring satanic ideas into the church, into the culture. 3,000 of those 18,000 pastors stood heroically. Many of them were sent to their deaths. But they actually believed Jesus defeated death on the cross. And they lived like they believed it. So do we believe it? On the other end of the spectrum, 18,000 Lutheran pastors, there were 3,000 who were totally pro-Hitler, who were 100% on board with whatever he wanted to do. That would be like the, the, the woke crazies of our day, that they'll just go like, with whatever is going on. But here's the key, folks. There's a pastor in the book, Letter to the American Church, a chapter called 12,000 Pastors. 3,000 heroes over here, 3,000 pro-Nazi maniacs over here, 12,000 pastors in the middle who said, we're not gonna choose. We're gonna be neutral. We're gonna be silent. We're just gonna preach the gospel. It's because of the silence of those 12,000, that evil was able to take over that nation. And of course, the moment evil was able to do so, it persecuted those 3,000 who had stood up. If more had stood with them heroically, as Bonhoeffer was exhorting them to do, the Nazis would not have been able to do what they did. That's what's amazing to me, is I know from the history that it was possible for... German Christians to stand against this, and they didn't. It was possible, I shouldn't say for German Christians to stand against this, it was possible for German Christians, if they stood against it, to win. And is trying to say, come on guys, come on, we gotta stand. God has called us, this is our hour to live out our faith. People, while we're sitting here, okay, in this free country, who we can do what we want, we have freedom, we've been blessed over the, the centuries. There are people all around the world suffering for their faith, willing to suffer for their faith. But we kind of act like, well, we don't we don't have to in America. We don't have to suffer for our faith. Why not? God calls us every day to die to self. So if you're not literally being killed, he nonetheless calls you to die to self and to walk with him and to trust him. And 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 if you are imprisoned, you praise him. When Paul was in prison, they sang hymns. If you do the right thing, I mean if you protest. Uh, 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 transgender lunacy, they might put you in prison. If you protest against abortion, they might put you in prison. As a believer, you're supposed to go, so what? So what? We were born for this. The Lord died so that we could do this. We could participate with him. Because his word says, faith without works is dead. The idea that we would claim to have faith but say, but I don't need to do anything. I just need to have a nice church service and then we're gonna go to brunch. You know, I guess I don't cheat on my wife. I don't I don't steal. You know, I guess I'm good. Is, isn't that what faith is all about? Like, I just need to, I just, I believe. The Lord says, no, I call you to live out your faith with everything you have. And it's not like a burden. This is the joy and the privilege. If you know who he is, he calls you to an adventure to participate with him in being his way of defeating evil in this world. And people who are hellbound will come to faith because of your actions. They will see that. Not they won't be driven away because you're politically divisive. They will be drawn by and large. Like you're living out your faith. You know what? I, I need that. I need some people who really can see things are going insane. That, that, that we have no border, no southern border? I'm supposed to keep my mouth shut about that? And if, you, if I say anything about that, you're going to call me racist? I don't like brown people? How about I don't like fentanyl flooding in and, and, and satanic, violent drug cartels? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, because of our policy on the southern border, children are being raped. Children and women are being sex trafficked is that too political for you? That is a moral issue. If the church does not stand up on that issue, we are complicit in that. And in this nation, by the way, we have the freedom to get involved. You're not living under the Roman Empire. We, we have a country where, when it says, you know, obey the governing authorities, on some level you understand, we are the governing authorities. We are self-governing. And we have the privilege to vote to get involved politically, to advocate for God's view in the public sphere, in the political sphere. William Wilberforce, who I, I wrote about in my book, Amazing Grace, he was the man led by God. He was born again. He was in parliament. He led the battle against the slave trade. The wickedness of the slave trade was clear to him. He said, we call ourselves a Christian nation. We need to abolish this legally. And he fought and fought and fought. And many people said, oh, You're being too political. Don't be so political. You know, just keep your faith and politics separate. Many people in this country, okay, in slavery times, okay, many of them said, I I just want to preach the gospel. That's a divisive issue. Would that be a divisive issue if you were enslaved? What would your opinion be? Well, who are we to judge? Anybody who knows the scripture would know, I have a duty to my fellow man, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And so, real born again on fire Christians led the battle for abolition in America. That history's been wiped away. That is a fact, okay? Don't let people talk to you about like, oh, all the pastors that were fine with slavery. There have been hypocrites in churches in every generation. And there were people who got it wrong. But it was people who understood the scripture that said we we're gonna lead the battle for abolition just as Bonhoeffer, I'm sorry, just as Wilberforce led the battle for the abolition of the slave trade in England. So, but there were people at the time who said, oh, don't be political, you're being political. You just care about power. They said, no, we care about people that are suffering and God calls us to love them and to do anything we can to help them. And so today when you say, I advocate for this, I advocate against this, advocate, and people say, "Oh, you're just, oh, you're being political. Um, they're just trying to shut you up. They're just trying to shut you down because they're being way more political than you are, but they're just trying to use your Christianity against you to fool you into thinking, oh, Romans 13, shut up. Just preach your little gospel. You know, there's a moment, I think I write about it in the new book, but it's in the Bonhoeffer book, basically where one pastor, Martin Niemöller, famous figure, he was one of the good guys because I keep saying there are good pastors in that time that were fooled, and got it wrong. Today, there are good pastors that got this wrong, okay? They're not all evil. They're good pastors that got fooled. The question is, did they repent? Did they eventually wake up and say, you know what? I was wrong. Martin Niemöller goes for a meeting with Hitler. I think it was 1934, I can't remember, 35. He was convinced that he could kind of reason with Hitler. And Martin Niemöller was a hero, a patriot in Germany, and he believed if he could just get some time, he could explain to Hitler, like, hey, the, you know, the confessing church, those of us who believe what we believe, we're not against you, or we're, we're not against, you know, we're, we're, we want Germany to, to succeed, whatever. So he goes to this meeting, and in the meeting, Hitler looks at him like he's a bug and basically says to him, you just stick to your sermons. In other words, you just preach your dead little gospel and I'll worry about everything else. The devil wants us to stay in our little theological religious corner, not to take our faith out into every part of the world. God wants us to take our faith into every sphere, politics, media, medicine, education, you name it. The Lord calls us to take our faith into every sphere. And by the way, freedom, you cannot have freedom on the American model without people of faith living out their faith. Now you cannot force people to live out their faith, but all the founders understood when they said, we're going to try something never been done in the history of the world. We're going to try to have a free nation where people govern themselves they knew that that was not possible, they all wrote about it. I wrote, um, I wrote about it in my book, um, If You Can Keep It, which they have copies of here, but that, that story has not been taught to the younger generation, even to my generation. It's like it's lost, that all the founders said that in order to govern yourself, you need to have virtue. This doesn't work everywhere. You need to have a people who are willing to be virtuous. And in order for people to be virtuous, they need to have faith. They need to fear God because they obey God, and they don't need a government telling them what to do. They'll do the right thing on their own because they obey God. All the founders understood that was the key to American-style self-government. And if it was to work, which they didn't know, they said, we're gonna try it, but if it's gonna work, the people have to be virtuous, the people have to inculcate that idea in their kids, that we govern ourselves, we do the right thing when nobody's looking. And all the founders understood that this almost always comes from people of faith. Because people of faith fear God. And because they fear God, they do the right thing for his sake. Freely, without being forced by a government, by a tyrant, by a king, by a deep state, by a bureaucracy. They don't need anyone to force them. They do it of their own accord. They govern themselves. So there's something called the Golden Triangle of Freedom, and it's in the book, if you can keep it. But it's, it's that freedom, self-government, requires virtue. You can't have freedom without virtue. Virtue requires faith, because why would you be virtuous if you don't have faith? But then the key is faith, in turn, requires freedom. If you do not have freedom to believe what you want or not believe it, to, to go to a mosque, to go to a church, to be an atheist, if you don't have 100% freedom from the government— to live out whatever you want, then it all dies because once faith is forced, any kind, freedom goes away. So even Christian faith, you know, you can say, well, I know it's true, well, but you can't legislate it. So you have to bring it out into the culture. You have to live it. You have to inculcate it and, and pass it on. And, but if you don't understand the link And you don't do that, freedom goes away. So you have to keep faith free so that people can do it of their own accord. Because once they feel pressured, that, oh, I gotta go to that church because the government says I gotta go to that church. That's what we left in Europe to found this country. So the founders understood this magical thing, the golden triangle of freedom. Faith, freedom requires virtue. Virtue requires faith. Faith requires freedom. And round and round it goes. And Franklin said, you know, it works if... If you can keep it, if you can keep it, it doesn't give, it doesn't work by itself. You, the people, we, the people have responsibility before God and before our fellow citizens to live these things out. And so all of the founders, including Franklin and Jefferson, all of them understood that without a good amount of people who believe in the God of the Bible and live out their faith in the God of the Bible, American freedom will cease to exist. So I'm here to tell you folks that, you know, Bonhoeffer said the church is the conscience of the state, okay? In America, the church has been the conscience of the state. The church has made it possible for us to be free, for us to expand our freedoms. I believe women could even vote today. Am I, am I right? Is that true? I can't believe that. Our freedoms have been expanded from 1776. How many people realize we abolished slavery in America? Yeah, that happened. How many people know we abolished Jim Crow laws in America? Dr. King called the founding documents promissory notes, that they pointed to a better America. And that's one of the reasons you need to love your country, to make your country repent of its sins and turn away from its sins, and turn toward God's values. Well, anybody who says America is evil, it's like calling your kid evil and saying, you know what, you will never change. You were born bad, you're just like your mother, you're just like your father. That's cursing, that's not blessing. God calls us to celebrate victories. No, we're not done yet, but we celebrate our victories, and we say, God has called us to get better and better and to praise him for how far we have come and to thank him that we have the opportunity. But if you are not free, you don't have that possibility. And so I'm here to tell you, folks, that in this nation, we have had an example of liberty that because many of us have bought the lie that, well, faith is not that important, it's a private thing, we're losing our liberty. And you know what? It's one thing if you or I, if we lose our liberty. But what about those people that aren't in this building this morning, that they don't go to church, they're just trying to raise their kids? Hell on earth is being unleashed in the schools, in the media, what about those people? God commands you to love them, and you love them by being the church, by living out your faith, by not saying, oh, it's just up here, it's just a private thing, it's just me and Jesus. If it's just you and Jesus, it's nothing. Because Jesus says, I have called you into relationship with me so that you would live your faith out for those others for whom I died. And if you don't do that, you don't get it. You're being a selfish Christian, which is an oxymoron. You cannot have real faith and not live it out for the sake of others. Abraham Kuyper, the famous Dutch uh, theologian, he's so famous, I got to tell you that he's famous, the famous Dutch theologian, Abraham Kuyper, but an amazing figure... Chuck Colson, whom I had the privilege to work for and and know and call friend, in almost every speech he quoted Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper said, There's not one square inch in all creation over which Jesus Christ, who is sovereign, does not say, mine. We are called to bring Jesus and the values of the Bible into every sphere When you see wickedness, you stand against it. You war against it. When you see slavery, you work for abolition. When you see abortion, children being killed, you work to to find politicians. You work to, to, to do what you can in every sphere. And there are many spheres, there's not one sphere. Politics is one sphere. Every sphere, you work. God calls us to this, and by the way, what a privilege, what a crazy privilege that we get to be involved with God and what he's doing on this planet. What a privilege. So when the church is silent, when the church says we're just gonna be the church on Sunday mornings, that's the devil's church, folks. That's not God's church. God's church calls us out of this building and to get involved and to speak his truth boldly. His truth about men and women, his truth about marriage, his truth about sexuality. His truth about anything that is going to touch human lives. Anything. And when people say, oh, oh, you're being political, you're being divisive. You know that they're just trying to shut you up. So you don't listen to that. Somebody calls you a Christian nationalist, laugh in their face and pray for them. Because I'm going to tell you something. We are now, you know, that word nationalism, these words are used... To just shut you up. That's the only reason those words exist. Oh, you're a transphobe. You're this, you're that. You're racist. Why are those words being used? Simply to shut you up. Because what we're really facing today, of course, is not, oh, nationalism. Yeah, people like worshiping statues of Donald Trump and making him the Lord and Savior. Is is that our problem? I, I, I don't see that. If I see that, I will be the first to condemn it. What I see is globalism, which is atheistic and Marxist. That is a horrible, horrible enemy. That seeks to crush the freedom that we've been blessed with in this nation. That seeks elites who have atheistic values, which is to say the devil's values, telling you how to live, what you can say and what you can't say. If somebody in America tells you what you can say and what you can't say, you you, not only shouldn't you listen to them, you should understand they are the enemy of freedom for all and that people have died, bled and died for our freedoms. So we celebrate July 4th, but what is it about? What it's about is something unique in history. The idea of freedom for all, the promissory notes that Dr. King talked about, we celebrate something unique in history, and it doesn't mean that we're better. We are no different than any people on the face of the earth. We're no different than the Germans, but The ideas that our founders bequeathed to us by the grace of God, which we don't deserve, we don't deserve to live here in this free country, those ideas are exceptional. And we need to say, Lord, I want to be a part of spreading these ideas so that people who are not free today can be free in the years to come. You have called us to spread every good thing beyond. I mean, imagine you say like the gospel is for me. I got the gospel. I'm not gonna share the gospel. It's mine. I don't care if other people go to hell. If that's your attitude, you don't have the gospel. And if you have freedom and opportunity and you're not using it for those who don't have it, you're keeping your mouth shut because somebody told you to keep your mouth shut. Don't talk about that. Then you don't care about those people that are suffering Right now, God commands us to care about them. He commands the church to be the church. He will not force us to be the church any more than he forced the church in Germany to be the church. But we are living in a crucial hour. I know this is true. I know that if the church will rise in America and stand boldly as it did not in Germany in the 30s, if we will do that, we will avert the nightmare that they opened the door to by their silence and their inactivity. But if we don't, we've only seen a foretaste of the evil that is coming, folks. You know, my parents came from other countries. My mother grew up in Germany. She saw evil, the Nazis. Then the Stalinist Soviets took over. The evil of communism, the evil in China, these places, ladies and gentlemen, You need to thank God every day that you're here because there are people suffering right now who don't have what we have. And God has given us a foretaste of these evils to wake us up, to say, Church, are you starting to get it where things go? If I take my hand away, if you turn away from me, do you wanna see how quickly things will go to hell? Do you wanna, wanna see how quickly? Most of us have seen enough, but there are people who still haven't seen And we have to help them to understand that they will literally take your children from you and subject them to propaganda that is evil if you do not fight, if you do not take your biblical values out of the pew and into every sphere. Now, every one of us has a different job to do. We're not all called to the same thing. God forbid somebody says, this is what you need to do. We all have a different thing to do. But the Lord calls us and joins us, allows us to particip- participate with Him in this moment in history, which is no less crucial than 1776. Most people did not fight in 1776. They said, uh, We're going to see how it goes. We'll let those guys fight. In the 1860s, many people said, We don't want to take a stand, we don't want to get involved. We're just going to sit on the sidelines. The Lord calls us to trust in him radically, to fight the evil, to know that silence in the face of evil is itself evil. And if we do not speak and act now, if we're asleep for another five minutes, we will be tied down as Gulliver was tied down, as the Nazis tied down the German church, and then it will be too late and then it's game over. But I believe genuinely that the Lord is not done with this nation. And I believe genuinely that he wants us to have a new birth of freedom and he's allowed these things to happen to wake up those who might yet be awakened. And it is his desire to use these terrible things to wake us up. Romans eight twenty eight: all things work together for good. Every wicked thing you have seen can work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. If it took these wicked things to wake up people and people are waking up. People are leaving churches that say, well, we don't want any trouble. We're just gonna, we're gonna keep our mouths shut on all these divisive issues. We don't want any trouble. Things are happening, folks. Be a part of what God is doing It is the most glorious privilege imaginable, the idea that we get to be part of what God is doing, that we get to be involved in this war on the side of God who died for us. It is a a privilege. It's an adventure. It's what the Lord calls us to do. You don't want to miss that. It's why you came into this world. It's why he came into this world to die for you. It is why we are here now. It's not a mistake that you're here now I don't mean in this church. I mean alive now in this country in history. So you say, oh, I wish I was living in another time. The Lord doesn't. The Lord called you to this moment for his eternal purposes. And he looks to you because what is the church? You're the church. You, you could be the tipping point. Your actions could encourage others that way or that way. There is no neutrality. God calls you to choose He invites you to choose while there is yet time to choose. The time is very, very short. Choose ye this day. God bless you.